Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. We've come to the end of our series in Galatians, and uh, today we're coming to a part that really can get summed up, it can be summed up with the phrase self-control. And so as we just, we're going to jump right into verse one of Galatians chapter six. So follow along with me in your Bibles, if you would. It says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overwhelmed by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, I want to break this verse down because there's there's a lot in this verse and we need to make sure we understand exactly what it means. When it it says godly, it's not implying if you're better than. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm better than you, therefore I can help you. Uh, Basically, it's look at it this way. It, It would be like you're in a race and you are ahead of someone else, um, and, and we're all in the same race, and we're all going to the same destination, and we're not trying to beat each other, but when we see somebody stumble, we come alongside them and we try to help them. And, and so as a believer, we are to help restore that person. Uh, in fact, the Greek word used there is very interesting. It's used in two ways. It's, it's to the word restore or help. It's the word that means to set broken bones. Now, obviously, if you have a broken bone, you need somebody else to help you fix that. Somebody who knows what they're doing. And, uh, and then another way the, verse, the word is used is to repair broken fishing nets. And so when, now sometimes you can do that yourself, but it's much easier if you've got others that are helping you. Sometimes you're struggling with something and you definitely need someone else to help you. Now, the best way to do that is that you just ask. You find somebody who is uh, further along in life that you can go to them and say, hey, I am really messed up in my finances. And I, I need some help. I need, to, I need to learn some new ways of how to handle my finances. Or I am struggling with this temptation and it just, you know, just hounds me. And it's always pounding on me. And, and I need help with this. Now, the opposite of that is true as well. If you know somebody that's struggling and you know somebody that's fallen into something, Those of us who have already either gone through the same thing or we're further along in the road, we backtrack to them and we say, hey, I know you're struggling with this. Let me help you. Now, you need that far better than somebody coming up and say, hey, you've really messed up or you got a serious problem. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, hey, you don't need to tell me I'm messed up. I know I've got mud all over me. I need somebody to help me get the mud off. In fact, the way Jesus put it, Jesus was always talking about serving, and he gave one of the best examples about serving. He was with his disciples one of the last times he was with them, and he got up, and he took a towel, 
And he started washing the feet of Jesus, uh, of the disciples. And they were kind of indignant about it. They say like, wait a minute, you're, you're the master. You don't wash our feet. Because really the person who washed the feet, uh, you know, people who had servants would have a servant at the door, one of the lower jobs. And as people or guests came to the house, people were walking and the, the road was dusty and their feet were hot. And there would be a servant at the door who would wash their feet to get the dirt off, but also to uh, cool off their feet. And so that's, that's what that servant would do. And Jesus was taking on that role of, of that servant, basically saying, hey, if I'm the Lord and I'm going to wash your feet, who are you not to help somebody else? And, and so Jesus would serve with the towel that evening. And, and that's what we do as believers. Sometimes a, a, a fellow friend or a believer, they, they just do something so dumb and they, they have egg all over their face. They're embarrassed um, and they, they, they don't want to be seen by anybody. They don't want to hang out with anybody. They need you to come alongside them and take that servant towel and help wipe off the egg. That's what they need. And sometimes people just fall into a mud pit and they can't get out. And they need you to come alongside them and help them out of the mud pit and then wipe the mud off. That's what this verse is talking about. And in fact, the fact that he would say that you do it gently and humbly. There's two attitudes in that. Gently in that... You're not screaming at them. You're not getting in their face, but you're, you're understanding. Say, hey, this could be me. I could be the one that's in the mud pit. I could be the one that's hurting. And, and then gently. I mean, if uh, I, I had... Um, gently just gives this idea. Sometimes you just need that soothing stroke of someone who just kind of comes and they put their arm around you and they love on you and, and they say, hey, I'm here to help you get through this. Nobody's here to embarrass you. Nobody's here to call you out. We just want to help you get through this. We all need that kind of friendship in our life because we all go through those times. Now, I will say that this verse is kind of insinuating that if you're a brand new believer, you're probably not the person that needs to be the one helping somebody who's really struggling. And, and here's why. You're, you're brand new as a believer. And so you, you need, now if you become aware of somebody's situation, <clears throat> God's let you be aware of that. In fact, that's always the best way to pray. Whenever you become aware of somebody's situation, you should pray, say, Lord, how do you want me to be a part of the solution? But if you're, if you're brand new in your walk with the Lord, you don't really have yet established the depth of your walk with Jesus, so, but, but you're still to help, and here's how you do it. Um, this is when you like talk to a minister at the church or talk to another brother or sister and say, hey, will you come and help me help them? You, you need somebody who has more experience with that, 
I mean, I, I do that on a regular basis that when I get into a counseling situation and, and it's something I've not dealt with before, me, first thing I'm going to do is call the guy who's head of our counseling and says, hey, I'm dealing with a situation. Can you come alongside with me and let's help, help uh, solve this situation? So you got to be careful about that and be cautious about that. It's kind of like um, we were given blood here at the church and we, Red Cross came in and had it all set up. And so I, I was, it was my turn. I was sitting there on the thing and I told the person, I said, you, you need to know I've got very deep veins. And so she found my vein and then she said, I'm going to let so-and-so do it. This is her first time. I thought, oh, I, did, I, did I mention I got really deep veins? And uh, she said, well, she'll be all right. Well, after about three tries, and she went all the way through my vein, and, uh, and I'm, you know, there's so many words I wasn't allowed to use. And um, I was thinking things, and I said, oh, man, how can I get out of this situation? Because it was getting painful. And uh, finally, they, finally, they got it in there. But man, you know, when I'm, when I'm dealing with something like that, I want a person of experience, right? I want a person who knows what they're doing. If I've got a broken bone, I'm going to go to somebody who knows what they're doing. And, and so when somebody's really hurting in a certain way, they need somebody who knows what they're doing. And there are a lot of people in the church that I rely on you know, when I become aware of a situation and say, hey, this is a financial situation. I've got this person over here I can call on. Uh, this is a, 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 an emotional situation. I got this person over here that can come and help me with this person. So don't always try to tackle something on your own. And then I love that caution that's right there. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. You know, this is... Um, this is why I have some very strict rules and that when somebody comes to me and they've got either a sexual issue or something like that, I don't let them tell me details because I don't need the details in order to help them. As a pastor I knew of in a very large city, he pastored one of the largest churches in that city and, and the reason I know about this is it was all in the newspaper. He had an individual to come to him and confess to him, said, hey, um, I just need to, I got a problem. And he said, there, I've been going to a tannin salon and I figured out how you could peep, peep over into the other booth. And so he was, you know, a peeping Tom. And the pastor just heard too many details. So guess what happened? He decided to go and see for himself. Really smart move. And guess what happened? Of course, he got caught and he got arrested, had to quit his church, lost his reputation, lost his witness. Whenever you think that you're above a certain temptation, you had better watch out because it's gonna, that's going to be the very temptation that's going to come and snare you. So when you're trying to help somebody, you don't need all the gory details in order to help them. You just don't need that information. You don't need it running around in your brain. Now, 
I saw a video that really captures this idea of helping someone who, is, who has stumbled. This is uh, from the uh, ACC Women's Cross Country Championship. And uh, there was a runner with, uh, from Boston College who uh, just stumbled badly. And a runner from Clemson who was behind her came up and started helping. And then another runner from Louisville came up and started helping. So just watch this video because this captures exactly what this verse is talking about. Man, what is so powerful about that video to me is those two other uh, young ladies gave up their spot in the finish in, er in order to help somebody from another team. They lost their sp spot. They went much further down. I mean, just look at how many people passed them as they were trying to help this person. This is what this verse is talking about. You stop your agenda. You stop doing what you're doing for the benefit of somebody else. That's what we do. We set aside our personal agendas in order to benefit a person who's hurting. That captures what Paul is trying to say. If another person's overcome, you should gently and, help, and humbly help that person. Verse two, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. So Paul is saying, hey, this is actually obeying Jesus when you do this. When you share each other's burdens, um, when you come alongside them and you know, this whole idea about a burden um, it, it's kind of like Jesus has given you a backpack to carry and he's put in that backpack certain things, the things you're to do. And he actually says, Hey, the, the burden I put on you is light. And he says, I, I will never put more on you than what you can handle. We're going to come back to that one in a moment because this is, that's so important what we're talking about today. Verse three, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. And Paul didn't mince any words. You're not that important. <laughs> Do you talk about yourself too much? Are you always bragging? 
Do you always think about how you can promote yourself? Make people think highly of you? Or are you thinking more about others? Thinking about how you can influence them for Christ. Thinking about how you can minister to them. I've got a couple of friends that uh, they'll call me. I might have already mentioned this, but they, they'll, they'll call me and say, hey, I'm meeting with so-and-so, and he's from this kind of background. What's, the be- what's really the best way to witness to that person? I love getting calls like that. And so when you think of yourself, only about yourself, and you think you're too important, you're too above to help this person, like one of those runners could have said, hey, I'm in contention here. This is, you know, I'm running my best race. And they threw all that aside and said, none of that matters because I'm going to help this person I don't even know. And they're on another team. I have to lay aside something if I am going to help someone else their burden. That's just a spiritual principle. If I'm going to help someone else's in their, in their burden, in their trial, I have to lay something aside in order to do that. But if I think too highly of myself, then I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to lay something aside and therefore I don't really help someone. And you know what they call that? Being conceited. You know what? Being conceited breeds an attitude in us that leads to intolerance of other people. You're intolerant of someone else when they struggle. And you look at them as a failure, thinking it makes you look like a success. Verse four, pay attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. And you know, whenever you compare yourself to someone else, you you do one of two things. You think more highly of yourself or you think worse of yourself. You either feel yourself full of pride and arrogance or you feel yourself with discouragement and frustration. And basically, the Bible says, avoid both. Stop comparing yourself with other people. He said, for we're each, in verse 5, we are each responsible for our own conduct. Now, this does not conflict with what he just told us in verse 1 and 2. See, it it sounds like on the surface, hey, I'm supposed to care about other people, but now he's telling me I need to care about my own conduct. But here's what he's saying. The Christian has to carry his own load. But that load includes helping other people. And Jesus put in your backpack exactly what you can carry and what he designed for you to carry. So it's, it's a good thing to ask yourself, are the things in my backpack what need to be there? If you're always overwhelmed, then that's a good clue that you're carrying stuff that were never meant to be in your backpack. If you're always under the burden, you're carrying stuff you don't need to carry. But here's how it works. 
People will come up to me and they say, hey, you got a church that's got 2,000 members. How do you carry that burden? And I'm sitting there going, well, it's kind of easy because Jesus wired me that way. He gave me a backpack with that burden, and he says his burdens are light. He's given me all the giftedness, the tools that I need to carry that burden. Then I'll turn around and talk to uh, Dr. Wagner, who heads up our counseling ministry, and I'll just say, hey, I don't know how you listen to eight hours of counseling all day long and how you live with that. Man, I would be so depressed. I'd be taking so many different drugs to try to help myself with depression. And he says, you know, I'm wired that way. I'm able to carry that. I'm able to carry that. And that's, that's what this verse is saying. So I don't have to carry Dr. Wagner's burden and he doesn't have to carry mine. So if you're overwhelmed, you got stuff in your backpack that's not supposed to be there. And if you're carrying so much that you never can take the time to help someone else, you got too much stuff in there. You need to do an inventory, a spiritual inventory. And it begins by you saying to God, God, you have wired me a certain way. You have given me, given me a certain purpose in life. Let me so focus on your purpose for my life that I can say no to the things that don't matter. To the things that keep me from doing what I should do. I don't want to miss your purpose and will for my life. Verse 6, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers and sharing all good things with them. And Gateway does that. I'm so thankful for that. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. So this is a solemn warning that God cannot be mocked. You, you cannot turn your nose up to God. You know, when I, when I hear people mocking God, and they may not say it to God directly, but people mock God by mocking his creation. People mock God by mocking the way God designed things. That's mocking God. People are mocking God when they say, well, God may have made us this way, but this is the way that's the way it really is. And that's old fashioned. That's old religious stuff. This is the way it really is. And you get to choose. That's mocking God. And God says, you will not win that one. It will catch up with you. So here's the deal. You get to decide what you're going to harvest because you get to choose what you plant. You're always going to harvest exactly what you planted. And he explains that. He says, um, those who live only to satisfy their, verse, not, verse 8, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, you're always going to harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. 
But those who live to please the Spirit, that's Holy Spirit, will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. That's an immutable principle that cannot be broken and cannot change. You will always reap what you sow. You will always harvest what you have sown. So if you sow to please yourself and it's all about you and you spend all your money and resources on you and the flesh, then you're going to reap a harvest that will fade into oblivion. A life that meant nothing. That's hard truth, but it's truth. But on the other hand, if you use your life your resources, to sow what pleases God's spirit. And you promote your own spiritual growth. You're going to reap a harvest that will last for eternity. So if you carry the backpack that Jesus has designed just for you, you're reaping for eternity. If you help the people that cross your paths, the people that stumble around you, and you stop your race in order to help them in their race, that's planting and harvesting something that will last for eternity. How cool is it going to be for somebody to come up to you in heaven and say, I'm here because you took the time to tell me about Jesus. I lived a more fulfilling life because you helped me out of that trap I was in. I was willing to consider Jesus because you demonstrated it by the way you lived. You might have somebody come up to you and say, you and I never talked on earth, but I watched you. And I saw a peace in you and I saw a purpose in you that I knew I didn't have. And because I watched you, I started asking questions. And when I started asking questions, I found Jesus. Man, that's reaping for eternity, right? And that, that's reaping for eternity. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. So verse 9 says, don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get tired of it. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You know, you, know, you can give and help and work, and, and sometimes you don't see the results. Sometimes, you know, some... Some harvests come in after a long period of time. It says, therefore, verse 10, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever the opportunity arises, we should do good to everyone, believers and non-believers, but especially to those who are in the family of, of, of the Lord. I mean, when Jesus fed the 5,000, there were Christ followers and non-Christ followers in that crowd, and he fed them all the same.
So Christians have a measure of responsibility to everybody to do good towards them. Now, verse 11, Paul says, notice that what large letters I, I used to write this closing words in my ha own handwriting. He, he had a, a secretary, so to speak, who was, who was writing for him. And he comes to the end of this letter and, he, and because we think he had really bad eyesight, he's writing in big letters, but I, he, I think he was also writing in big letters. It's kind of like, hey, really pay attention to what I'm saying here. He said, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching what the cross of Christ alone can save. In other words, they're all about themselves. They, they want you to follow their rules because it makes them look good and they can claim you as one of their disciples. And they don't want to go through the hard stuff like if they really proclaim Christ then they're going to get persecuted like I've been persecuted. He said, and even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. Hey, they're not even doing what they're telling you to do. The only way, the, the, uh, they only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, May I never boast about anything. May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. May you and I stop talking about ourselves and boast only about Jesus. Lift him and him alone up. May that always be true for us. He said, because of the cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. All that matters is who is Jesus in you. It really doesn't matter what the world says about you, good or bad. It just doesn't matter because it doesn't last. It just doesn't last. Well, I'm, I'm going to skip down to or back up to Galatians 5 because we have our last word of the nine words about the fruit of the Spirit. And, and this kind of sums up everything we've been talking about. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And it was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And the last one is self-control. Now, now get this. He is not saying self-control, you, you're on your own. But rather he's saying, when you live by the Spirit, I've given you the ability to control yourself. That means I've given you the ability to say no to sin. I've given you the ability to say yes to Jesus. I've given you what it takes to say yes to God's purpose for your life. I've given you that. I've given you the self-control 
to overcome the temptations you struggle with. I've given you that. So it all fits together. Jesus is saying, hey, I've got a backpack that's designed just for you. And it's, and it's perfect for you. And it'll never be more than what you can handle. I've given you that ability. And I've given you self-control so that you can focus on what really matters and you can say no to what you need to say no to and say yes to what you need to say yes to. I've given you that. That's what it means to live by the Holy Spirit. This is a quality that is impossible to attain apart from the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that one? It is impossible to maintain self-control apart from the Holy Spirit. So what's in your backpack? What needs to come out of it and set aside? So in our closing prayer, instead of having you come to the front, I just want you to stay seated right where you are. And those who are watching online, just where you are, just close your eyes. And let's just have a moment of prayer. So just everyone close your eyes if you would and let me pray along with you. And just say to Jesus, Lord, thank you for giving me a purpose. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. May I say yes to you and no to the world. When I struggle, let me get help. When I see someone struggling, let me help them. Show me how to only sow or plant things that last for eternity. Take away my caring about what the world thinks about me, about status and reputation. Let me only care about what you think. In Jesus' name, amen.